Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths or STEM an opportunity to be honest and open about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements her labels, or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation over the years. And through my TV work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And it's their off-air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. It's my hope that you really relate to what's shared with you today and that you're inspired and supported and comforted as I always am when I chat with my amazing guests. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even leave some comments and reviews. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of electrical engineering. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for agreeing to be part of this show. It's really fantastic to have you on. I'm really excited. How did you feel when um, I told you that it was an anonymous podcast? Uh, At first, I thought that was interesting because I do listen to a lot of podcasts and usually people are there to uh, guests come on to plug a book or something that they've written recently or something like that. So I thought that that was interesting. But um, after listening to a few of your episodes, I saw the value in that where, yeah, it is hard to talk about these things uh, in public. So yeah. having the anonymous factor makes it easier to just, like you said, be really honest. Yeah, because what I've experienced um, from the women in STEM that I've met is that often they haven't had an opportunity to really talk about the experiences they've had through their career. Um, Would you say that you've had any experiences that are female specific? Definitely. Uh, The last company that I was working for, uh, by the time I left, I was the only female engineer in the group. Uh, We we were up to two and then she was my very good friend and she ended up leaving for another company. So it just kind of left me alone there. Uh, for a while. So having staff meetings where you're either one of two or the only woman in there, uh, you definitely do feel like the outsider. Um, And it could be just unconscious things that are said. Um, I remember, you know, one staff meeting, there was a new engineer and he was being introduced and they kind of asked, what are your hobbies? And he said something along the lines of, oh, I like to work in the garage on my motorcycle, you know, when my wife lets me. And then the whole room bursts out laughing and I'm sitting there like, cool. (laughs) Yeah. How do I relate? (laughs) Yeah. So it's just, um, yeah, just, you know, comments like that where I'm sure they weren't trying to make me feel like we don't want you here. But at the same time, it's just sort of this um, assumption that, the male experience is the default experience and everyone should be able to relate to that even when it's specifically something that I can't relate to. I mean have you always been a minority um, as you've pursued a career in electrical engineering? 
I would say so. Uh, my undergrad was in physics and there was one other woman in my classes. Um, and then I got my master's in electrical engineering and there were a few, maybe like two other women in my classes, but it's definitely been that way um, as far as college and grad school. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned, you know, my first jobs, my first few jobs, I was always kind of the, the only or one of a few women in the room. Mm. Um, and on top of that, I, I play, I'm pretty athletic. I played a lot of sports growing up. Uh, and so just kind of, especially in the sports culture, trying to fit in, uh, you know, and say like, hey, I, I follow the NBA too. And it's just a bunch of men talking about sports. And I'm trying to say, you know, like, oh, I, I can join this conversation too. I mean, how have you navigated being different? Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I was thinking about this um, and I kind of noticed as I thought back to myself in high school uh, and in college, kind of trying to, you know, because obviously you always want to fit in. You don't ever, nobody really likes to feel like nobody likes them or, you know, nobody wants to talk to them. Um, and so, you know, I would try to fit in, like I said, I would try to join the conversations of saying like, hey, you know, I, I follow sports, I, you know, whatever NFL game was on last night, I watched that. Uh, and I also found myself trying to fit into the point where it was weird things like, I guess in a very broad sense, like kind of buying into the patriarchy or buying into chauvinism a little bit where, um, I don't know, just talking about things like sports was okay. Or when they would talk about cars, I would just kind of sit there and not say anything because I, I don't really know much about fixing cars. Um, but, you know, when they make comments about like, oh, all women care about is makeup and stuff, I'd be like, yeah, that's why I don't wear makeup. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's like really weird because it's like, sort of buying into that, like agreeing that things that are generally considered female specific are less than, and the only acceptable things to talk about are sports and cars. So do you think you were denying yourself? Um, or do you think you were denying certain parts of yourself in order to fit in with the boys? Definitely. And I, I see that a lot of myself when I was playing basketball in high school. Um, you know, where I forget, someone said like, someone brought a purse into the gym, you know, you bring your gym bag and then you went to school with a purse. So mm -hmm. you bring a purse in and you're like, what is that? That's not a gym bag. And, and I definitely tried to act more tomboyish or act like I didn't care about fashion or just things that are typically considered female. Mm -hmm. Like I tried to act like I didn't care about those things. Um, and as I got older, did you care? I think, I think yes, but I didn't know enough then. So I didn't wear makeup in high school because I didn't know how to. And when I finally met people in college and after college that were like, show me, like, just go on YouTube. They teach you all these things. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, like, I, I mean, I don't always wear makeup now, but I think I just by default back then would say, yeah, makeup is stupid. Yeah. Just just because just to fit in where it's like, I didn't really think about it too much. 
in order to form an opinion, but I just kind of wanted to fit in. And why did you want to fit in with the boys? Like, why why didn't you want to fit in with the girls? Um, I think a lot of it was um, maybe like a competitive edge. Like, oh, you think a girl can't do good in math? Well, I'm actually really good at math and like wanting to to compete and, you know, like we, like I just mentioned that there weren't a lot of other girls around in my classes. So you, you kind of have to mm. compete with men in the way that men like to compete, I guess. Yeah. Take me back to when you were a child. Um, was it obvious from an early age that you were going to end up in electrical engineering? <laughs> um, I, they, uh, this is a funny story. So, um, so my dad's an electrical engineer, and uh, the more I think about it, you know, my science fair projects uh, growing up in elementary school, looking back as an adult, I was like, wait a minute, all of my science fair projects had to do with electricity and magnetism mm-hmm. in some way. Uh, and my dad always helped me with those. And so I think he probably sensed, you know, my curiosity and just the way my brain worked when I was a baby. And so he was really, I think he really encouraged that. And my mom also really encouraged and she was glad that I was good at math and science. Um, and so I think they really encouraged that. So, I mean, it's it's hard to say whether it was more nature or nurture, because I think the nurture side was really um, emphasized with my parents. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think so, because that's just my... I've always been curious about how do things work? How do how does that work? I, I played with Legos all the time, me and my brother growing Love up. Lego. So I think I was, yeah, definitely my brain was geared towards that and my parents definitely um, encouraged that and fostered that in me. Sometimes I ask myself, like, was I genuinely interested in engineering because of my particular DNA or did I just grow up in a household that was full of engineering because my dad's a mechanical engineer and like you know when you're sort of raised in that environment where you're always asking questions um, and trying to find solutions to problems um, like I just I often wonder whether you know I popped out of the womb with an engineering mind or whether (laughs) I was kind of reared that way um and it sounds like you had a similar kind of environment uh, definitely yeah so when you were studying maths and physics and all the subjects you need to get into electrical engineering like did you find it easy and natural or did you get a lot of help uh with math math always came easiest and most natural and i originally wanted to major in math until uh one of my teachers in high school kind of put it, she said that, you know, math is very much a tool um, that other disciplines, you you know, use math as a tool. And she, you know, after talking with her, she kind of put it as, you know, jobs in math, pure mathematics is really in academia. And if that's what you want to do, then okay. With that realization of, you know, I didn't really see myself being in academia Um, And so that's where I was like, okay, well, let me just do something that uses a lot of math, but let's, you know, I didn't really um, 
see myself as being like a math professor yeah. or something like that. What did you see yourself doing? Like, what was your dream at that stage? Like, how did you see your life turning out? Um, it's it's very interesting because growing up, it was very very much an emphasis on you have to go to college, get your degree, so you can get a good job and make enough money and live happily ever after. And so I was very focused on the getting to college and finishing the degree part um, and not so specific when I was growing up, at least in terms of what I wanted to be, uh, what job did I want to have? Um, and so I think um, it varied. I mean, when I was a little kid, I just said I wanted to be an inventor. Um, and that's kind of as specific as I got. And I found that really challenging um, right after graduation uh, with a physics degree. Uh, and then just trying to figure out what type of an engineer I wanted to be. And that's kind of when I focused in and said, well, like, I, you know, I like electronics and things like that. And so that's how I kind of focused in on electrical engineering. Uh, and now I kind of uh, found my way into the world of manufacturing. Uh, so doing the electrical support to a manufacturing line and things like that. Wow. And what's it like being at work is probably one of the few women there. Uh, well, so now I, I recently switched jobs. And so now my group is actually 50 What? Uh, That's great. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, one of the reasons why I am very happy with the, the choice I made to, to switch jobs. Um, but to, you know, to talk, if you want to talk about being the minority, I can talk about my previous company where it was, it was, um, it got lonely sometimes, you know, just being, like I said, the only person in a staff meeting, the only woman in a staff meeting and, and being surrounded by men and always trying to fit in. Um, and it was interesting because some coworkers, it, it's, it was as if, they were not as comfortable socializing um, or just, you know, small talking at the water cooler yeah. type of thing with, um, you know, and, it, and I was like, guys, I'm, I'm lobbing you up a softball here. I'm, I'm trying to talk about sports. Like you don't even have to, you know, talk about girly stuff, like, you know, but I always felt, um, you know, there would be conversations that would have a cu one cubicle away from me. They're talking about the NBA or whatever. And just would not even consider popping their head over and saying, hey, what do you think? Or did you watch that yeah. game? You know, and then I, you know, if I try to interject something, you know, just say, oh, hey, I, I did see that game or whatever. Did you want that kind of interaction? Um, well, yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's small talk. It can't be all about work all the time, you know, um, especially when it's like during lunch break or like you're just kind of waiting for a meeting to start. So you're all sitting in the conference room. Um, so, you know, just in terms of general socializing and I, I, fortunately, you know, I am a person that is into sports and can have those conversations, but I, even there, I felt it challenging to, to really feel like I was part of the conversation or that they wanted, they in, would invite me to be part of that conversation. And so I could only imagine for other people that aren't into sports, like how, like how how could they feel comfortable if they can't eat, you know if they don't even share that interest so what's it like now in your new job like are you 
do you think you've changed as a result of having more women around? Uh, it's pretty fresh. It's pretty new. I've been at this role for just over two months. Um, but I do feel it's, it's hard to say because so many other factors have changed to just the culture uh, is a bit more laid back and not so corporate. And so there's a bunch of factors where I do feel more comfortable and um, my, my mood is happier and um, I guess more positive and more optimistic just in my day-to-day. Um, so it, it's hard to say whether that's because of the 50-50 gender split or because of all those other things that I mentioned. You may find that with time, um, there could be other uh, circumstances that you have to navigate. I mean, working with women doesn't sound like something you have much experience with. Uh, in a professional setting, yeah, that's that's right. correct. Oh, but sports-wise, um, yeah, because I was always on, you know, the basketball team with ten other girls. Right, so that's probably really helped you, the skills you've built there in terms of interacting with other women. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, one of the other things that I do now um, is I volunteer and I coach youth basketball too. And so, you know, just kind of getting in tune with this younger generation of girls um, and, you know, talking to their parents, talking and befriending their moms and things like that. So... What have you gained from that experience? Because I think helping others is like one of the most rewarding things we can do as human beings. Um, what have you got from helping others? Oh, definitely. Um, my husband has, you know, he even told me when I started volunteer coaching last year, he just noticed a difference in my overall attitude. And, you know, I used to just be really tired and like drained and blah when I came home from work. But as soon as I started coaching, I could have had an awful day at work, but I'd say like, oh, awesome. Okay, it's time to go to the park. We have yeah. practice today. Um, so it just feels great. Um, I love basketball. And so I love sharing that and teaching that to this next generation. Um, and I also do like throwing a lot of STEM stuff in at practice, even though, you know, it's not a requirement. And I don't think any other coaches like do what? that. But, you know, I've... I've I brought handouts to practice. Like uh, if you remember last summer, we had that big eclipse that went across yeah. the U.S. And so I, um, I handed out handouts and I told, you know, to the parents, like, here are the trusted NASA websites or, you know, vendors that NASA says these guys definitely sell safe uh, eclipse viewing glasses. Don't get the fake counterfeit ones, you know. Um, and so I was telling the parents, like, this is how you buy safe glasses. And I was you know, brought some handouts for the girls if they wanted to make their own um, viewfinder to view it safely if they didn't have glasses, you know, with like a cardboard tube and all those things. Um, so I've definitely done that. I've um, I've taken some scrap uh, PCB boards from work. You know, we were just about to throw them away and I asked if I could take them so I could show them to my players and my manager said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So I've taken some PCBs to practice and show them like this is what's in your phone and in your TV and in your iPad and and I, I played them a little video of how PCBs are assembled um, and telling them like this is all the work that goes into things that you have every day all around you 
and I brought a you know a little magnifying glass in so that they could really look at the tiny capacitors and transistors and all the small components and it was pretty cool because I don't think any of them had ever seen anything like that. Yeah. It's so amazing to like, you know, go to basketball practice and actually open your mind up to like a whole new world that they may not have even realized existed. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the one thing because, um, you know, um, a common thing is, I don't know, how it is in other countries but in the u.s a lot of people don't really know what yeah. engineers do i've got people that say you know when i say i'm an engineer and they're like so does that mean you like conduct a train and i'm like what <laughs> yeah or, or <laughs> what i get which is like can you fix my car yeah <laughs> yeah and so um you know so it's not very i guess you know in pop culture it's not a big a big thing just kind of that exposure, uh, because obviously not everybody wants to be an engineer or can be an engineer, but uh, how would you know if you never got exposed to it? And so that exposure to it is something that I try to do, you know, with this neighborhood rec league that I coach in, just giving them that exposure. And, you know, if something sparks in them, or, or one thing I like to do is, you know, the, when I get a new team, uh, and we're all trying to learn each other's names. One of the things I like to ask is, what's your favorite subject in school? Um, and I always love it when the little girls say like math or science, um, because typically, you know, they're not typically in our society uh, encouraged or geared towards that. Uh, and so I always love to encourage that when they say math, I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. That was my favorite subject in school too. Uh, and so, you know, encouraging those things um, to me is really important because you, we could be missing, we're missing out on this whole talent pool of people that could do things, but, you know, they just never were exposed to it. Well, it sounds like we need more people like you in the world because you really seem to have the the perfect characteristics of a woman in STEM role model, but who were your mo role models? Um, my parents a lot. Um, my dad, obviously, because I just always thought, God, my dad is so smart. And I would always tell him, like, Dad, go on Jeopardy, because you always know all these answers when we're watching, and you could make us some money, you know? <laughs> like, um, And so I always thought that. And, and my mom uh, is very strong-minded in that you know she wanted me to she encouraged me to take on these things that were typically male because she wanted that for me you know she wanted me to be strong and successful and have a job where I could support myself and I wouldn't have to you know um, depend on someone else uh, and so a lot of that was my parents and the way that they raised me um, mm. and I, I kind of in the background knew that other people thought that girls weren't good at math or, you know, um, weren't strong in these subjects, but I never got that from my parents. In fact, the more of a feeling I got from my parents was like, you know, that's what they say about you, right? Or, you know, that that's what people are going to think. And I was like, no, I'm going to prove them wrong, you know? And so, yeah. so I think my parents definitely 
uh, were huge role models for me. And um, also, I would say, so in 1996, I remember it because that's when the uh, U.S. team, women's basketball team, won the gold in the Olympics. And that's when the WNBA got started. Uh, and so that's right, you know, when I was in middle school. And so just seeing that a league could be created and not, um, I was like, oh my God, what if I play in the WNBA when I get older? Uh, and so right. I didn't make it that far, um, but just- But it's this idea that- Yeah. Things just can, seeing that it was, can be achieved. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing that it was possible that like they, they created this league, so it, it exists and- um, so I think a lot of that was huge for me to um, keep playing basketball as hard as I did and keep trying um, to get a scholarship as hard as I did. So what does the future hold for you? Like, what are your plans going forward? Uh, so I really like the institution that I'm at now, uh, and I really see myself staying there for a long time. So I would like to um, just stay stay there and just move up the ladder um, in, in a sense. I don't really see myself um, wanting to go the management route. I think that um, probably as just an individual contributor, uh, I would probably go that route and just you know, keep trying to get um, more and more engineering responsibilities. Um, and I definitely want to keep coaching. Um, right now it's just kind of volunteer work in their middle school girls. Uh, but I think it'd actually be really cool to coach it at a high school, at the local high school or something like that, just so it's, a, you know, I can teach them some more advanced things and, um, you know, in a more competitive environment and, and help girls that are even that much closer to college or deciding what kind of career they can have. You mentioned uh, having a husband, yet you sound so young. How did that come about? So I, I think a lot of women in STEM can relate to this, but it, it was tough dating um, <laughs> as a in STEM. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's exactly why I'm asking. Because trying to sort of like balance a STEM career often makes you quite reclusive and not really sort of like, I mean, it's not very girly. So trying to date is typically a bit more tricky. Yeah, it was rough going in college. Um, I just remember, you know, typical question when you're in a college town going out to a bar or something like that. It's like, oh, where do you go? What are you majoring in? Uh, you know, and just saying, oh, physics, a lot of people literally would just turn around. Walk and off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, cool. Like, don't get to know anything else about me, but all right, that's cool. Um, and so, so that was rough and it was frustrating. Um, and one of the things that. What subjects do you think they would have wanted to have heard? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I was. Let's see. Uh, I minored in history also, so I started just saying like history, just to just to not have Get that voice. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> um, I'm like, I mean, it's not really lying. Like I am studying it. So, um, um, but yeah, so that was that was rough. 
Uh, and one of the things that I liked the first time that I met my husband was I had recently graduated. And so, you know, we're just small talking and he said like, oh, you just graduated. What did you major in? And I said, physics. And I was like, well, here we go. This is the end of this conversation. Mm. Um, his response was, whoa, that is really cool. And I was wow. like, what? <laughs> so I thought, to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that that was awesome. And it was very indicative of his uh, mindset and his open-minded attitude about like, wow, that's super cool. And, you know, it wasn't intimidating or emasculating or anything like that. He just thought it was Sorry. interesting. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, this guy, like major points for this person that I just met. Yeah. What was he majoring and, in? Uh, so he majored in business. Um, and so definitely a different field and not related at all. Mm. Um, but he just, he just thought it was really cool. And, you know, we do have conversations sometimes where he's like, you know, why is this this way? Or why does this work? And I'm like, well, actually, like, um, you know, <laughs> he's really open-minded to, to that. And, and I ask him a lot of questions about, um, you know, financing and investing and, and stuff. So we, we really play off each other. I think it was super fortunate that we were able to meet each other and and fall in love because I think that, um, you know, in terms of like just saving for retirement, I don't think I'd be doing as good a job if he wasn't like, this is what we should be doing. So, mm. so I think, you know, it, it was frustrating to date, but finding that person that is um, open and complements your strengths and um, complements your personality is key. And I'm so glad that, you know, I didn't, sort of dumb myself down or keep lying to people that like, oh, no, I'm not an engineer. I, I do this. Non-threat. It sounds like you met someone that really accepted you for who you are. Totally. And that was that was just something where I was like, OK, well, obviously this guy I need to talk to more, um, you know, and so I'm uh, I'm just I, I'm really lucky that uh, that we found each other and that we work so well together. So, um, yeah. That is what I would say to other women that are have that same frustration with the dating life and, and those things is, you know, it'll, it, when it pays off, it pays off. So don't sell yourself short, um, you know, and settle for something that isn't going to make you happy because when it works out, like I just, it's to me, I can't imagine it any better. So I mean, it does sound like through your career, you, there were times when you had to kind of turn down the volume of certain parts of you. Um, mm -hmm. But like, was there ever any times when you thought, I just don't want to be a woman in STEM because, you know, uh, I don't know, was there any doubt in the choices you were making? Hmm. I would say, yeah, so the biggest time of doubt for me was right after I graduated, because it was sort of peak recession here in the U.S., um, and so nobody was hiring, and so here I am, I'm like, I worked really hard for this physics degree, and 
you know, from everything that everyone told me when I was growing up, this was supposed to, you know, the hard part was over. Like you're just supposed to get a degree and get a good job and live happily ever after. And so it was very demoralizing and frustrating for me. Uh, And to the point where I was like, well, you know, maybe I'm not smart enough to, you know, to get a job. Maybe that's why I'm not getting a job. And, you know, I knew that there was a recession going on and that hiring was terrible everywhere. Um, But I did have a lot of doubts and I was like, maybe I should just change. Um, You know, when I was going, when I was like, maybe I need to go back to grad school because a bachelor's is not enough right now and no one's hiring anyway. So just go do something else that's going to help you. Uh, And so when I was like, okay, well, what am I going to go back and get my master's in? Should I go back to physics? Should I do something else? And, you know, a lot of me was doubting um, what I should do and if I was smart enough to even pull this off in this field, um, in any STEM field. And so, you know, I was thinking like, maybe I need to do something with my sports. Maybe I should be like, like sports, like a physical therapist or, you know, like a trainer or something like that. And so that was a big part of, um, that, that was a lot of soul searching and like, what do I really want to do? Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, I didn't really have a specific engineering job in mind. I was like, I don't know, like, you're just supposed to find a job after you graduate, right? Like, um, and so it was a lot of soul searching because one, I didn't have a specific goal. And two, just with all of the interviews and the rejections, it was like, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Mm. Um, but I ended up, you know, I got encouragement from my parents and my family. Um, encouragement remember, to really find out who you are, I guess, right? Yeah, and encouragement to to go back for a degree. And like, yeah, if you want to keep in the engineering realm, then do it. Like, don't do it. Like, it was more like, if you don't want to do it, then do something else because that's what you want, not because that you don't think you can stay in STEM. Yeah, because I think, you know, a lot of my guests have gone through like a soul searching time in their Mm -hmm. careers, um, some earlier than others. Um, But soul searching as a process is quite difficult to define because you know sometimes when people are trying to figure out who they are like they're so influenced by what other people think of them that it's really hard to just know what you want like did you ever go through those kind of thought processes and what did you learn um about that process yeah um a lot of me was like, yeah, you, you can't quit now because you've already gone this far and it's just going to be a huge waste of time if you don't even do something with yeah. science. Um, so, and a lot of it too was, you know, I grew up in um, uh, an immigrant household where the culture was really, you know, you listen to your elders and, you know, be very obedient Um, And so a lot of it was just me becoming an adult and saying, no, no one's going to tell you what to do anymore. You actually have to make decisions on your own. Mm. Um, You know, just just simple things of like, you know, at the time before we got married, my husband would be like, what do you want for dinner tonight? And I'm like, I don't don't know. What what do you want? And he's like, no, what you pick, what do you want? And, you know, it's just little things like that where 
I had to be like, I had to really listen to myself and say, what, what do I want? I've, you know, gone so long kind of being told. Yeah. Downplaying or, or not listening to what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and so it was, it was a lot of, of work and exercise of having to say, well, do you really want that? Or is that just because that's what people expect or, or that's just most convenient for everyone else? When you're choosing what you want for yourself, there's always a danger of not being popular. Yes. Um, did you ever have to just deal with the risk of not being popular? Well, I think most of the time growing up, I wasn't popular. I mean, I wasn't bullied, but I just wasn't kind of ever part of the in group. Mm, Um, So, you know, just in middle school, like being um, one of the smarter, you know, of the the top kids of the class with the grades and, um, you know, getting put into advanced algebra when everyone else was in regular, Mm. whatever, seventh grade math, eighth grade math. Um, You know, so I, I was never... I, I was never really popular. Um, I did find a click, my click when I was in college. Um, and that, that was just a whole new feeling of like having a social network and like having a group of friends that would remember to call you and be like, hey, do you wanna, you know, we're all going out, you're coming out with us, right? Um, so, so yeah, but I definitely, <laughs> Uh, when I found that click in college, had to downplay uh, my major a little mm-hmm. bit. Like I wouldn't talk about interesting physics things or articles that I would read. You know, it was more just talking about regular pop culture stuff. I mean, that's that's a great balance of kind of you know being sociable and toning down your uniqueness in order to fit in, but never denying your uniqueness and still pursuing that in your own time. Yeah, and that's something, you know, I think I got from my parents, you know, because like I said, like my my parents wanted this for me. My mom wanted me to to excel in things where, you know, they say girls can't do this. Um, And so I never really wanted to deny any part of Mm. that. Um, Just about balancing how much you talk about it with other people around you. You know, how much do I let on that I'm under deep down inside? Um, you know, which is another fun thing about where I work now. Uh, it's, <laughs> um, it's quite nerdy and everyone's quite proud of it. And so I feel like I can laugh at these jokes now instead of being like, oh, that's a nerdy joke. I'm not going to laugh because then other people will think I'm a nerd. <laughs> um, you know, just walking through the parking lot at work now and people have like personalized license plate frames of you know, video game jokes and things like that. And, um, and I'm just like, man, this is cool. Like everyone here, like I get all these jokes and I don't have to be like secretive about understanding these jokes. Uh, it sounds like you really found your, your home career-wise. Oh yeah. I mean, I was looking for another job because of you know, the commute at my, my previous job was really tiring and, and exhausting. And so I'm really fortunate that the reason why I wanted to look for a different job was, you know, the main driver was the commute, but I've lucked out in that where I am now is just 
more in tune with, I guess, my personality and where I want to be career-wise. So it was very fortunate, like I very serendipitous. Yeah, the universe really helped you out there. <laughs> it gave you what you didn't even know you wanted. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. So I ask all my guests this, but what does having it all mean to you? Mm, yeah, that is definitely a tough one as a working woman and you know especially in a male-dominated field it's so I would say so okay uh I like I mentioned a lot I really like basketball Mm -hmm. and one of the coaches that I admire the most is John Wooden um the UCLA basketball coach in the 70s 60s uh and he was gosh like like equal parts basketball coach and philosopher and uh, his definition of success uh, I'm going to butcher it it's a very awesome quote but it's to the effect of um, you know success is that feeling of satisfaction of knowing you did the best you could to to be the best you could Uh, so knowing that you put it all out there um, because obviously not everybody can hold world Mm. records and not everybody uh, can be number one but if you did the best that you could do then that's all anyone can expect and you know that's the only reasonable thing you can ask so so did you do everything that you could do so yeah I think that that I I like his definition of success and I I take that with me Um, probably the only thing I would say now because I have the the fortunate um, commute and the fortunate job uh, and the the good fortune of finding a supportive husband, I would say that the only thing right now would be having kids. Mm, Yeah. um, What would be next for me? Yeah. And so that's something you want. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Just especially, I mean, I reaffirmed it in myself when I started coaching again was just I love teaching and I love seeing these girls grow and learn and like watching, watching them figure it out, like in their brains, like, you know, they're on the court and I can see them figuring out how do I do this move and, and all those things. I'm like, I love it. And so I'm like, ah, I can't wait till I have a kid and I can just watch. Like You certainly paint a picture that you have just put one foot in front of the other, you know, offered very little resistance, but really worked hard and stayed focused on um, getting the things that you believe you deserve. Well, yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I am very fortunate, you know, to, to grow up in the household that I did and meet the people that I have um, and, you know, find the job opportunities that I have. Uh, and I think a, a part of that too was, um, I used to be ultra competitive. Uh, and I, it, it was a good thing when I was, you know, playing basketball and, you know, trying to get all the grades and all the things on my college application and things like that. Um, but at a certain point, it started making me very unhappy because there was such comparisons to everybody else and, you know, always looking outside to see if I'm doing okay. Um, and Part of me had to, you know, while, while a competitive spirit and competition brings out, um, can bring out the best in people, 
I think that I was kind of in a place where it was, I was just seeing so much negative, negative, negativity around me and just always looking for the flaws, like what else is going wrong instead of appreciating the things that were going right. And so I think a big part of, you know, for me becoming an adult and, and um, growing was to sort of tone it down in the sense of, I don't have to compete with everybody on Facebook. Like, okay, this person's taking an amazing vacation. I can't take amazing vacations all the time. Um, you know, and, and turning down that competitive, that ultra competitiveness that, um, that was a little bit, this like kind of poisonous, you know? Um, but why did it happen at that point in time? Well, like I mentioned, the, the competitive edge uh, was useful and uh, very positive to have in basketball, especially, you know, I'm not very tall. I'm actually pretty short. And so I had to, to excel in other things to even be any good at basketball. Um, so I think that in high school, it was, I, I was like, I, I liked that about myself, that I was so competitive. Um, but I think it was, you know, just always being in a bad, funky mood, you know, and this was more after college, you know, when you're kind of comparing yourself to all the people you knew in college and whatever amazing things that they were posting on Facebook. Um, and, you know, and a couple of friends had pointed it out, like, you know, you used to be more positive. They, they kind of, you know, and, you know, I was kind of talking to them like, God, I feel so rotten all the time. I feel like angry or upset or just bummed out. And they're like, well, you did used to be more positive, you know, back a few years ago. And when they kind of put that out there and I was like, they're not saying it to be mean. Like I am coming to them for advice and I'm going to take that advice. Like it, it sucks to hear. It hurts to hear that. Um, it hurts to like admit that about yourself. Um, but I was like, well, why am I so negative all the time? Like, that's true. Why, why after someone said a normal sentence, did I like look for the negative? <laughs> so you probably got sick and tired of being, uh, sick and tired of being competitive because it wasn't bringing you fulfillment. Yeah. And, and I think that's another reason why I go back to this John Wooden quote, because it's, it's all internal. It's do you feel satisfied that you know you did the best you could for yourself? It has nothing to do with did you win the game? Did you, you know, beat someone's GPA or whatever? Um, it has to do with knowing that you did the best you could do. Because sometimes, you know, some people, um, like biology, I was always really weak in that. Um, that was like the, the one science subject where I was like, ah, I cannot manage to get a higher grade than this. Um, and so that's, that's just me. The, that was the best I can do in biology. Um, and so being bummed out about how, getting an A in biology, like that would have brought nothing but stress and like, you know, disappointment to myself. So, so kind of turning down that, that fear of measuring up to other people um, and just really kind of, well, did you do the best you could? Was that the best you could? And, you know, saying yes. Um, right. So it's still being competitive, maybe with yourself, your own standards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a huge part that, um, that helped me reach this conclusion was 
uh, I was kind of gearing for uh, athletic scholarship to go to college and I fell short of that. Uh, but I want to say every other senior in my class that was on the basketball team played in college. Uh, and so for a while I was like, well, this sucks, you know, like how am I the only one that didn't get the scholarship? Um, and I kind of had to tell myself like, well, what does that prove? Does that mean you're not a good basketball player? And I was like, no, I know that I am, um, you know? And so that kind of realization of like, it doesn't matter. Like that doesn't define who I am, how, you know, how I measure up to other people doesn't define and shouldn't define me. So that was, that was a, a big step in, um, in reaching that realization. So I do still challenge myself. Mm -hmm. um, like recently this year, I got into the hobby of woodworking and mm -hmm. it's been challenging because I had never really made anything, you know, before the last year. Uh, and so I still challenge myself. Uh, I'm trying to teach myself another language. Um, you know, I bought some, an audiobook that like helps out with that. So I do, I do still challenge myself and push myself. But I'm not going to sit there and say, well, you know, so-and-so speaks five languages and I only speak English. So, ah, this is terrible. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> so I'll, I'll still push myself and, and challenge myself to grow. But I just, there's always going to be someone better. Um, you know, there's only one person that can be the best in the world at something. And, yeah, you know, everyone else should be okay with not being that person. <laughs> so... I don't know who said it, but I'm sure someone said something about competing against yourself. Yeah. Uh, challenging your own personal best, I guess, is, you know, that kind of idea that you're always trying to, like, uh, improve your own standards rather than trying to measure up to someone or something else. Which, you know, even just saying that out loud makes me feel this huge sense of relief because I just think, yeah, you know, like, I don't have to put pressure on myself because of someone I know who's better at art yeah, or yeah. <laughs> better at singing or yeah, know, taller exactly. or, you um, know. And, you know, it, it helped out at work too, um, you know, because I, I don't know what it is, but there are some feelings of like women have to be competitive with other women at work, um, you know, and so even though there's not a whole lot of female engineers, but a lot of people think that, you know, you're automatically in competition with each other um, you know, for no other reason than like, well, they're the only two women. Um, and so, you know, I did get that sense from some previous coworkers where, you know, I always felt like she was trying to find things, um, mistakes that I made that she could point out or, or whatever it may be. Um, and I just kind of removed myself from, from, caring about that competition that she was manufacturing and realizing that that's her own those are her own inner gremlins like it's got nothing to do with you uh, you don't have to be part of that competitive dynamic yeah and one of my really good friends um at my previous job you know she and I would have conversations about this where you know we were just not all about that you know climbing the ladder no matter what it takes you know the ends justify the means kind of thing you know we 
she and I have that kind of similar attitude where it's like, you know, like, well, what do you want to do to make yourself better? And don't make it about anybody else. Like, just if you want to learn, teach yourself another language and do it, you know? So awesome. Um, so for any aspiring young women in STEM who are very curious and inquisitive about STEM, but are kind of wondering if it's for them, what advice do you have? Oh, man, I think just to, like I said, just to stick with it. Like if you, if it interests you, then see how far you can go with it. If it no longer makes you happy, uh, you know, or you find that it's not for you, then that's okay. But do it because that's what you want and not because someone else told you you're no good at it. Um you know, so if you're curious about it, and that's the thing that I love about living today in 2018 is like, um, you can learn anything on YouTube. Like that is, that's how I'm learning woodworking. I'm just watching a ton of YouTube channels. And, um, you know, if you're curious about electrical engineering, there are a ton of channels, which some up that I have watched, you know, to help me with some of my DIY projects of like, you know, how to, how to solder these things at home or how to, you know, make this Arduino thing, um, you know, and you can make whatever you want. So just if you're curious about it, go ahead and learn more about it. Like do some research, go to the library or, or YouTube, you know, um, or they have those like really cool websites, like, uh, I'm blanking on names, like lynda.com, you know, where it's like, you just sign up and learn things. Um, and if that's your curiosity, like stick with it. And if you don't like it anymore, that's okay. Just make that decision yourself and don't stop because so-and-so says that you can't or, you know, you don't make it for any other reason than, than the one that you choose. Are you saying that through your career in electrical engineering, no one told you you can't? Um, I think the person that told me most was myself when I was question whether or not I could hack it. You ignored it? Yeah. Yeah, because I was like, no, this is what you like doing. Like, you are curious. You have the engineering mind, so stick with it. See where it can take you. Right. Okay. Yeah. Listen, it's been absolutely amazing having you on the show. Um, I feel like I've learned so much in such a short space of time about the competitive spirit and how we can channel it to good use and I think everything about competition can be fruitful um, if you use it in the right way and uh, you're a living example of that so thank you so much for coming on the show thank you so much I really appreciate it I'm super into podcasts so I can't believe that I'm on one right now so thank okay. you for this opportunity <laughs> oh, thank you that's it from my STEM guest this week wow competition what a potentially destructive, um, potentially fruitful, and always powerful thing um, that it brings us if it's used in the right way. I uh, certainly, after this conversation, want to go away and reflect on how competition plays a part in my life because from my guest today, it's clear that she's really used competition to her advantage and it's really allowing her to thrive. Thank you so much for listening this week. Don't forget to subscribe and leave comments 
and catch you next week on Silence.